Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast. So now we're going to start with our chapter 6 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire which is the fourth book of Harry Potter series and the chapter name is The Portkey. Harry felt as though he had barely lain down to sleep in Ron's room when he was being shaken awake by Mrs. Weasley. "Time to go, Harry dear," she whispered, moving away to wake Ron. Harry felt around for his glasses, put them on and sat up. It was still dark outside. Ron muttered indistinctly as his mother roused him. At the foot of Harry's mattress, he saw two large disheveled shapes emerging from tangles of blankets. "It's time already," said Fred groggily. They dressed in silence to sleepy to talk. Then, yawning and stretching, the four of them headed downstairs into the kitchen. Mrs. Weasley was stirring the contents of a large pot on the stove, while Mr. Weasley was sitting at the table checking a sheaf of large parchment tickets. He looked up as the boys entered and spread his arms so that they could see his clothes more clearly he was wearing what appeared to be a golfing jumper and a very old pair of jeans slightly too big for him and held up with a thick leather belt what do you think he asked anxiously we're supposed to go incognito do a look like a muggle harry yeah said harry smiling very good Where is Bill and Charlie and Percy? said George, failing to stifle a huge yawn. Well, they're apparating, aren't they? said Mrs. Weasley, heaving the large pot over to the table and starting to ladle porridge into the bowls. So they can have a bit of a lie in? Harry knew that apparating was very difficult. It meant disappearing. from one place and reappearing almost instantly in another so they're still in bed said fred grumpily pulling his bowl of porridge towards him why can't we apparate too because you're not a phage and you haven't got your test snapped mrs weasley and where have those girls got to She bustled out of the kitchen and they heard her climbing the stairs. "You have to pass a test to a parade," asked Harry. "Oh yes," said Mr. Weasley, tucking the ticket safely into the back pocket of his jeans. The Department of Magical Transportation had to find a couple of people the other day for apparating without a license. It's not easy. apparition and when it's not done properly it can lead to nasty complications this pair i'm talking about went and splinched themselves everyone around the table except harry winced uh splinched said harry they left half of themselves behind said mr weasley now spooning large amounts of treacle onto his porridge So of course they were stuck couldn't move either way had to wait for the accidental magic reversal squad to sort them out meant a fair old bit of paperwork i can tell you 
with what were the muggles who spotted the body parts they left behind. Harry had a sudden vision of a pair of legs and an eyeball lying abandoned on the pavement of Privet Drive. Were they okay? he asked, startled. Oh, yes, said Mr. Weasley, matter-of-factly. But they got a heavy fine, and I don't think they'll be trying it again in a hurry. You don't mess around with the paration. There are plenty of adult wizards who don't bother with it. Prefer brooms, slower but safer. But Bill and Charlie and Percy can all do it. Charlie had to take the test twice, said Fred, grinning. He failed first time, apparated five miles south of where he meant to, route right on top of some poor old deer doing her shopping, remember? Yes, well, he passed second time, said Mrs. Weasley, marching back into the kitchen in hearty sniggers. Percy only passed two weeks ago, said George. He's been apparating downstairs every morning since just to prove he can. There were footsteps down the passageway with Hermione and Ginny came into the kitchen, both looking pale and drowsy. Why do we have to be so up so early? Ginny said, rubbing her eyes and sitting down at the table. We've got a bit of walk, said Mrs. Mr. Weasley. Walk, said Harry. What, are we walking to the World Cup? No, no, that's miles away, said Mr. Weasley, smiling. We only need to walk a short way. It's just that it's very difficult for a large number of wizards to congregate without attacking, attracting muggle attention. We have to be very careful about how we travel at the best of times and on a huge occasion like the Quidditch World Cup. George, said Mrs. Weasley sharply, and they all jumped. What? said George, in an innocent tone that deceived nobody. What is that in your pocket? Nothing. Don't you lie to me. Mrs. Weasley pointed her wand at George's pocket and said, A CEO. Several small brightly colored objects zoomed out of George's pocket. He made a grab for them but missed, and they sped right into Mrs. Weasley's outstretched hand. We told you to destroy them, said Mrs. Weasley, furiously. Holding up what were unmistakably more darn tongue toffees. We told you to get rid of a lot. Empty your pockets, go on, both of you. It was an unpleasant scene. The twins had evidently been trying to smuggle as many toffees out of the house as possible, and it was only by using her summoning charm that Mrs. Weasley managed to find them all. A seo, a seo, a seo, she shouted. And toffees zoomed from all sorts of unlikely places, including the lining of George's jacket and the turnips of Fred's jeans. We spent six months developing those, Fred shouted his mother as she threw the toffees away. Oh, a fine way to spend six months, she shrieked. No wonder you didn't get more owls. 
All in all, the atmosphere was not very friendly as they made their departure. Mrs. Weasley was still glowering as she kissed Mr. Weasley on the cheek, though not nearly as much as the twins, who had each hoisted their rucksacks onto their bags and walked out without a word to her. Well, have a lovely time, said Mrs. Weasley, and behave yourselves. She called after the twins, retreating backs, but they did not look back or answer. I'll send Bill, Charlie and Percy along around midday, Mrs. Weasley said to Mr. Weasley as he, Ron, Hermione and Harry and Ginny sat off across the dark yard after Fred and George. It was chilly, and the moon was still out. Only a dull greenish tinge along the horizon to their right showed that daybreak was drawing closer. Harry, having been thinking about thousands of wizards speeding towards the Quidditch World Cup, sped up to walk with Mr. Weasley. So how does everyone get there without all the muggle noticing? He asked. It's been a massive organizational problem, sighed Mr. Weasley. The trouble is, about 100,000 wizards turn up to the World Cup, and of course, we just haven't got a magical side bid enough to accumulate them all. There are places Muggle can't penetrate, but imagine trying to pick back a hundred thousand wizards into Diagon Alley or perform nine and three quarters. So we had to find a nice deserted moor and set up as many anti-muggle precautions as possible. The whole ministry's been working on it for months. Firstly, of course, we have to stagger the arrivals. People with cheaper tickets have to arrive two weeks beforehand. A limited number use muggle transport, remember? But we can't have too many clogging up their buses and trains. Remember, wizards are coming from all over the world. Some are barrate, of course, but we have to set up safe points for them to appear. Well, away from muggles, I believe there's a handy wood they're using as the apparition point. For those who don't want to apparate or can't, we use boat keys. There are objects that we that are used to transport wizards from one spot to another at a pre-arranged time. You can do large groups at a time if you need to. There have been 200 boat keys placed at strategic, strategic points around Britain. And the nearest one to us is up the top of Stoats Head Hill. So that's where we are headed. Mr. Weasley pointed ahead of them when a large black mass rose beyond the village of Ottery Esty Catpole. What sort of objects are both keys? said Harry curiously. Well, they can't be anything, said Mr. Weasley. Unobstructive things, obviously, so muggles don't go picking them up and playing with them. Stuff they'll just think it's litter. They 
trudged down the dark, dank lane towards the village. The silence broken only by their footsteps, the sky lightened very slowly as they made their way through the village, its inky blackness diluting to deepest blue. Harry's hands and feet were freezing. Mr. Weasley kept checking his watch. They didn't have to breathe to spare for talking as they began to climb stoat's head hills, tumbling occasionally in hidden rabbit holes, slipping on thick black tuffets of grass. Each breath Harry took was sharp in his chest and his legs were starting to seize up when at last his feet found level ground. Phew, panted Mr. Weasley, taking off his glasses and whipping them on his sweater. Well, we've made good time. We've got ten minutes. Hermione came over the crest of the hill last, clutching a sn- stitch in her sight. Now we just need the pokey, said Mr. Weasley, replacing his glasses and squinting around at the ground. It won't be big. Come on. They spread out, searching. They had only been at it for a couple of minutes, however, when a shout rent the still air. Over here, Arthur! Over here, son, we've got it! Two tall figures were still houted against the starry sky on the other side of the hilltop. Amos, said Mr. Weasley, smiling as he strode over to the man who had shouted the rest of them followed. Mr. Weasley was shaking hands with a ruddy-faced wizard with a scrubby brown beard who was holding a mouldy-looking old boot in his other hand. This is Amos Diggory, everyone, said Mr. Weasley, works for the Department of the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, and I think you know his son, Cedric. Cedric Diggory was an extremely handsome boy of around 17. He was captain and seeker of the Hufflepuff house Quidditch team at Hogwarts. Hi, said Cedric, looking around at them all. Everybody said hi back except Fred and George, who merrily nodded. They had never quite forgiven Cedric for beating their team, Gryffindor, in the first Quidditch match for the previous year. Long walk, Arthur, Cedric's father asked. Not too bad, said Mr. Weasley. We live just on the other side of the village there, you. Had to get up at two, didn't we, said. I tell you, I'll be glad when he's got his apparition test. Still, not complaining? Quidditch World Cup wouldn't miss it for a sack full of galleons, and the tickets cost about that. Mind you, looks like I got, got off easy. Amos Degree peered good naturally around at the three Weasley boys, Harry, Hermione, and Ginny, all three yours. Arthur, oh no, only the redheads, said Mr. Weasley, pointing out his children. This is Hermione, friend of Ron's, and Harry, another friend. Merlin's beard, said Amos Degree, his eyes widening. Harry, Harry Potter. Uh, yeah, said Harry. Harry was used to people looking curiously at him when they met him, used to the way their eyes moved at once to the lightning scar on his forehead, but it always made him feel uncomfortable. Seds talked about you, of course, said Amos Diggory, told us all about playing against you last year. I said to him, I said, said, 
that'll be something to tell your grandchildren that will you beat Harry Potter. Harry couldn't think of any reply to this, so he remained silent. Fred and George were both scolding again. Cedric looked slightly embarrassed. Harry fell off his broom, Dad, he muttered. I told you, it was an accident. Yes, but you didn't fall off, did you? Rode Amos genially, slapping his son on his back. Always modest, as said. Always a gentleman, but the best man won. I'm sure Harry'd say the same. Wouldn't you? Uh, one falls off his broom, one stays on. You don't need to be a genius to tell which one's the better flyer. Must be nearly time, said Mr. Weasley quickly, pulling out his watch again. Do you know whether we are waiting for any more Amis? No, the love goods have been there for a week already and the forkets cannot get tickets, said Mr. Diggory. They aren't any more of us in this area, are they? Not that I know of, said Mr. Weasley. Yes, it's a minute off. We'd better get ready. He looked around at Harry and Hermione. You just need to touch the boat key, that's all. A finger will do. With difficulty, owing to the bulky backpacks, the nine of them crowded around the bold boot held out by Amos Diggory. They all stood there in a tight circle as a still bree chill breeze swept over the hilltop. Nobody spoke. It suddenly occurred to Harry how odd this would look if a muggle were to walk up here now. Nine people, two grown men, clutching this manky old boot in the sammy darkness, waiting. Three, muttered Mr. Weasley, one eye still on the watch. Two, one. It happened immediately. Harry felt as though a hook just behind his navel had been suddenly jerked irresistibly forwards. His feet had left the ground. He would feel Ron and Hermione on either side of him, their shoulders banging into his. They were all speeding forwards in a howl of wind with an swirling color. His forefinger was stuck to the boot as though it was pulling him magnetically onwards and then his feet slammed into the ground. Ron staggered into him and he fell over. The boat key hit the ground near his head with a heavy thud. Harry looked up. Mr. Weasley, Mr. Degree and Cedric were still standing. Though looking very windswept, everybody else was on the ground. Seven past five four from Stoats Head Hill, said a voice. Okay, everyone, this chapter is finished and we are going to start our next chapter, which is Bagman and Crouch in our next podcast. So then, thank you for listening.